Hey, listeners, we're planning something special and we need your help. We want to hear from you. Please leave us a 10 to 30 second voice note about your favorite episode, karyotid, or any lady in the profession who inspires your career and life. To do this, please go to our show notes linked in the description of this episode. Scroll to the bottom and follow the link and instructions to leave your note for us. You might hear yourself on a future episode. Stay tuned. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Today is going to be, it's a caffeinated day. I do need coffee. I do this need week's coffee. Been rough. Okay. I have, so are I we starting that over or what are we doing? Hello, hello. Welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is places we've called home, which means we are sharing the stories of ladies that are from or have lived in places that we have called home. Whether we've lived there for a decade, two months or two weeks, places that were home to us, or in some cases, places where we've received mail. Today, we will tell the story of Olive Francis Chauden, the youngest registered architect in the state of New York. I'm Jessica Rogers, reminiscing about my Syracuse adventures, getting half-priced sushi from Sakanaya, coming to you from Miami, Florida. Hey there, I'm Lizzie Rar, missing recess coffee in San Francisco. And I'm Nurjiri Rivas, remembering how much I enjoyed drinking a Cesar Chavez at Strong Hearts from Houston, Texas. All right. It's time for our disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We're just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we'll all continue learning together. All right. So listeners, when talking about a season dedicated to places that we've called home, we cannot forget such a pivotal time for us as college. Naturally, I've spoken about my hometown, so next we would be choosing a lady that attended Syracuse University, our alma mater, right? So let's get into it. Let's go orange. (laughs) All right. So Syracuse University started in 1870, and three years later, the architecture department would become established. Interesting fact, Syracuse would be the first university to offer architecture as a four-year degree. Oh, trailblazers. I like that. Mm -hmm. Really, Jessica? Four, not five? How many was the average for other schools? Do you know? Well, I can't speak for the other schools, but what made Syracuse the first was that it was a four year bachelor's of architecture degree. So four versus five. 
I think that that's probably based on any of the accreditation that needed to happen once we had like a formal accreditation board. So I think the five year program kind of came later, not when it first started. Okay. In 1898, Syracuse's School of Architecture would have its first female graduate by the name of Frances Whipple Bigelow. Like the T. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The T's good. It feels like there's a Francis theme going on today. Well, if it was, it went because that's where the story ends. Oh, okay. (laughs) Theme over. Congrats, Francis Whipple Bigelow. Yep. So if you paid attention at the beginning, Nigeri, I'm actually telling a story on a completely different chick. I know. That's Um, why I was like, there's a lot of Francis going on. Yes. But I, this girl, her middle name was Francis. I'm going to be telling the story of all of Francis, not Francis Whipple. I just need to mention Francis Whipple Bigelow because she is from our alma mater. And even if it was like a five second story, this is because this is all the information I could find on poor Francis. All four ish minutes of it. So there, there you go. Okay, so originally you thought this episode would be about Francis, but you couldn't find more information that what you just told us, her graduation mm-hmm. date. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a sad day. It would be great mm-hmm. to learn more about Francis, but I guess yeah. I'm glad that we're at least acknowledging her. Like, yeah, shout out to Francis. <laughs> shout out to Francis. Exactly. I mean, I really tried to make it a story about Francis, especially because she's a Syracuse alum. But yeah, listeners, this is part of the behind the scenes stuff that is so stressful about researching, let alone not finding info of the little details that you want, but just finding information in general to make a story. Yeah, I I mean... It's sad because sometimes you just find a name and a brief description of a lady and you're like, oh, she sounds cool. She sounds interesting. But then Mm -hmm. that's all you can find. Yeah, it does get rough and frustrating at times, but we fight the good fight and persevere. True. Yeah. Usually when I research, it's whatever I can find online, either online or books or websites, whatever, etc. But this time I even contacted Syracuse University themselves. And wow. still no dice. Yeah. So listeners, if you are related to Francis for some chance, contact <laughs> Syracuse University to give them some information and contact us because we are very curious about this lady. Wow. You went straight to the alma mater source and nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I'm proud of you. And I'm glad that they answered. because they Sometimes we don't get answers. So thank you, Syracuse. That's true. <laughs> I mean, hopefully it changes soon that someone is going to find more information about Francis and we can revisit this story. Agreed. All right. So to our not originally scheduled, but became scheduled programming, our story begins on November 24th, 1904. Olive Chodden was born in New Utrecht, New York. Her father was John G. Chodden, a structural engineer. So New Utrecht is a town on Long Island, and it was established by the Dutch back in the 1650s. Eventually, when New Amsterdam becomes New York and it expands, the city of New Utrecht essentially becomes absorbed into what is now Brooklyn in 1894. And 
So New Utrecht is specifically the neighborhoods of Bath Beach, Bay Ridge, Bensonhurst, Borough Park, Diker Heights, and Fort Hamilton. So in conclusion, Olive was from Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's fast forward to high school. Olive would graduate from Jamaica High School at the age of 15. Man, ladies be graduating high school early this season. Remember Gertie at 14 Mm -hmm. and now Olive at 15? Yeah, holy moly. These ladies are smart and very determined. Mm -hmm. Yes, they were. So Olive's initial plan was to attend Columbia University to study architecture, but they rejected her because she was too young. So Olive would wait until she turned 16, so a year later, to apply to attend to Cornell University, which allowed 16-year-olds to attend. Okay, now I'm curious to revisit episode 71 and figure out the timeline of events here because I remember Cornell turned down Gertie Besosa Silva because she was too young at 14 and then they didn't let her in until four years later. Okay, so I'm going to bring this up at the wrap up. Mm, Yes, it's very interesting. I think I even mentioned on episode 71 that for some reason, like just 16 feels older. I wonder if Gertie Mm could have gotten in when she was 16, but Mm -hmm. like maybe she didn't reapply yet or something. I don't know. But true. Okay, Mm. but Jessica, so this is a Cornell episode, not a Syracuse one. That's what you're telling us. Yeah. So we're talking about Cornell, ladies. It's the closest I could get to Syracuse. After that whole let's go orange thing I did. <laughs> I still bleed orange, so. Of course. We're just giving Cornell a bone. Oh. <laughs> okay. I mean, wow. upstate New York was home to us for five years and Cornell is in upstate New York. So there you go. Olive is our homegirl from Cornell. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Upstate Nothing New York. Nothing but love. Yes. Yeah. Cornell and Syracuse are only an hour apart. So yeah. we will allow it. Yeah. So Cornell is, we are talking about Cornell and Olive is our new homegirl. It's actually really interesting to learn a little bit about the university's history and how academia was in general, because this period in Olive's life was when the U.S. had designated Cornell to be a land-grant university, which means that they received funds from the government, but they had to follow whatever government rules they had. So, for example, back in 1890, universities that were in the former Confederate states had to show that race was not a criteria for admission. So in Olive's case, Cornell would uh, be one of the first universities once it started to admit women. Mm, because they had to is what you're saying because they had to yeah well we'll take it i mean i'll take it oh yeah no no i'm just clarifying (laughs) gotcha i do wonder how many universities were a part of this program yeah it's super Mm -hmm. interesting i was wondering so is that they always had to accept women from the start or was it a recent thing like they just they signed up for this land grant university thing or whatever well I did read that Cornell was the only Ivy that accepted women when it started. So Columbia was actually the last of the Ivies to accept women. So maybe in Olive's case, it wasn't so much that she was too young as to why they rejected her, but because she was a woman or maybe both. You you know how this Mm -hmm. goes. Mm -hmm. Um, But to answer your question, Nargiti, 
The list of universities and colleges becoming a land grant institution, it would change and and evolve as different laws were placed by the government. Today, there are probably around like 130 institutions that are Mm. under the system. The majority on the list are public universities and only a handful are private universities such as Cornell. Mm, I had no idea about any of that. Thank you for educating me today. We've been learning. Not just about our latest, <laughs> you know. So Olive is attending Cornell, which was and is a five-year program. Well, I mean, I guess maybe when it started, it was a five-year program to go back to our earlier comment about four years and five years or whatever. Who knows? Who knows? So at the age of 19 in 1925, Olive would graduate from Cornell with her bachelor's degree in architecture. Olive did it in four years instead of five. I mean, she graduated high school at 15. So are we that surprised? But I mean, still, dang, Olive. I think I'm still surprised because college is a whole new ballgame than high school. And to deal with all of that at such a young age, though, I wonder if because of her age difference with her classmates she didn't have opportunities to socialize as much as we did in college and she just stuck to studying her butt off so maybe that's how she got through it which sounds very on brand for her okay i've talked myself out of the surprise actually i'm not surprised anymore (laughs) (laughs) you know energy i actually thought of that aspect like Maybe because of her age, she couldn't do all of the socializing like she just wasn't allowed to do it. Or maybe she wasn't interested in it. She's like from the age of 16. She was like, I'm going to get it done. Well, anyway, no surprise. Not only was Olive graduating early, she would also be the only woman in her graduating class. Of course. Okay. But mm-hmm. she wasn't the first woman to graduate with an architecture degree from Cornell, right? Right. She was not. The first was Margaret Hicks. She takes the crown. So future episode we Margaret Hicks. And I know she's been on our list for a while on our list of ladies to talk about. So I'm sure we will talk about her at some point. So we will fast forward to 1929 when our girl Olive is 24 and she becomes a licensed architect. She would be the youngest to do it. Yeah. Way to go, Olive. <laughs> this lady is the youngest at everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Olive was really impressive. It seems like in most rooms that she was in, she would be either the first, the only, or the youngest. A trailblazer through and through. I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. All right. So I kind of jumped the gun. I was just so excited about her. But I need to talk about a little bit of what happens before she actually gets licensed. In 1926, Olive would work at the firm Richard T. Childs in Mineola, New York. And then two years after that, in 1928, Olive would start her own firm based out of Garden City, New York. Do your thing, Olive. (laughs) So she becomes licensed and that's 29. Uh, In 1938, Olive would become the first woman to be admitted to the Brooklyn chapter of the American Institute of Architects. And for many years, Olive would be the only woman member. Not surprising, but as always, such a bummer that that's the case. 
Agreed. Mm-hmm. All right. So Olive's specialty was residential design, right? That was her thing. Her style was Neo Tudor. Apparently, Homegirl had a style during this time, which I'll be sure to include in the show notes. Uh, it's a very like, eh, it's a very, I guess, pop in style at the time. She would design all of these homes all over New York. And eventually she even designed her very own house that still exists today. Her house that we can go check out is located at 104 11th Street in the Garden City area of Long Island, New York. It's described to have a distinctive weather vane showing her silhouette astride a (laughs) T-square. Okay. (laughs) That... The design of the weather vane is really getting me like. (laughs) Yep. On a (laughs) T-square. I want to plan an arc venture here. Stat. Same. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So Olive's work was also described as distinctive homes for people of moderate means. Mm, I love that description. Does that mean that we can afford her? One would hope. One would hope. Depends. It depends on what you think. If you think your means are moderate. I hope so, at least. (laughs) Well, I don't know. But I think with inflation right now. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I don't know that I qualify as moderate, but. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if these. um, we'll, we'll, We'll get into it a little bit later. But, okay. So, point is, moderate means. Olive was killing the game. Okay, she was so amazing that she was invited to design a house for the 1939 World's Fair, which was held in New York. Yes. Okay, I know way less about this World's Fair. So if anyone knows, but it still seems like that would be a huge accomplishment to get invited to be Mm -hmm. part of it. I mean, it's been a while since the World Fair made an appearance on our episode. Because I remember for a while they just kept showing up. and Yeah, but it was always the same to... one, right? <laughs> no, we, we had a few different ones. I mean, there's one um, that made lots and lots of appearances. Sure. But yeah. They went on break. I'm glad that we got one back. Welcome, World <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yes. Welcome back. Okay, but I've been trying to find Allah's work at the World's Fair, mm-hmm. but all I could find was that her name was included as a quote-unquote contracted architect. Hmm. So, list of architects, Olive's name was in it. So, I couldn't find that, but it was interesting to also read about this World's Fair itself, because I don't think we've talked about this one. Like, we've talked about Chicago, might have talked about Montreal, but I don't remember talking about New York. But, um... Anyway, this would be the first exposition to be based on the future, allowing visitors to look at the quote unquote world of tomorrow. Turn your architectural designs into stunning, immersive experiences with Enscape. This innovative tool integrates seamlessly with your design software to bring your ideas to life in real time 3D and VR. With Enscape, you will experience instant rendering, have the ability to make design changes on the fly, and present your projects in stunning detail. Ideal for architects, designers, and anyone passionate about visual storytelling in architecture. 
dive into a new era of design visualization with Enscape. Visit Enscape3D.com to learn more. It was also the second most expensive American World Fair of all time. Oh, wow. I mean, after that description, I was hoping for lots and lots of pictures, floor plans, master plans, elevations, perspectives, all the things of Olive's work. Yeah, it's like a really big bummer that you couldn't find more. But Mm -hmm. I think I still stand by what I said, that it's great that she's listed as an architect on the project because mm-hmm. yep. we know that could definitely have gotten erased. So, but it shows yep. that she was accomplished and well-known in the area at that time. Okay. But like, let's talk about how expensive was it and which one's the most expensive. Okay. So I don't know which one's the most expensive, but this one, it was $28 million. That well, So that's already a which lot. at that time. Whew. Yeah. I didn't even calculate what was it, what, how much that is today. Yeah. Also, that was only recorded um, in private bonds to create the fair. So, oh. the, and that means that that was only like one third of their overall budget. Oh. Yeah. So it's a lot of money. It was also just really interesting to learn about this stuff. Uh, yeah. Like I definitely like got sucked into the, to the rabbit hole. <laughs> um, but Olive, I'm telling you, she was popping. Okay. So after the World's Fair and stuff, you know, she's on Long Island. She is doing her thing. She's basically designing neighborhoods. But like, I'm not talking about like urban planning. Like, I'm not talking about that. Like, I'm talking about like kind of like the developer side, you know, she's designing house by house right next to each other in the span of a neighborhood, like neighborhood blocks, like suburbs. Yeah, pretty much. But early suburbs, like not like she, they got big plot before land. She's suburbs for houses. suburbs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, each house was meant to sell for twelve thousand dollars. Is that the moderate price? Because I think I can afford that. Yeah. Right. How much is that worth now? Like, <laughs> yeah, that'll help determine how moderate she really is. Yes. Okay. So Google tells me that it's roughly around two hundred and sixty thousand. Oh, so that's great. Actually, <laughs> right. So I'll take it right now. Sign me up. Yeah, Olive. <laughs> Olive was designing for those of moderate, moderate means, means, like us. Hey, hey. Yes. Yes. We learned does. that we are moderate. <laughs> we sure are. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, Olive had her design style, okay? Neo-Tudor. Programmatically, she would also include a formal breakfast room in her designs, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that's very ahead of her time. Uh, This became really common, and today the breakfast area is still one of the most used spaces in a house, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at my aunt's house... I barely ever eat in the dining room. It's all about the breakfast area. And we just sit and hang there too. Forget the living room. Let's just do everything at the breakfast area. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Less and less people are asking for formal dining rooms. They just want one eating place that's sort of like in the middle of everything. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Okay, so... 
for Olive, one of the houses that wasn't um, moderate means oh. that she built was actually a mansion for a distiller. And it was featured in the 1935 Good Housekeeping magazine. I am really digging all of this good press and recognition that she's getting. Amen. Yeah. yeah. I wonder mm-hmm. what was the client distilling and... Mm. Also, you think they paid her in money and alcohol? Because that'd be cool. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Hmm. Food for thought. They didn't mention that part. Food for thought. Drink for thought. Or booze for thought. Drink for thought. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) So, Olive, she was essentially building during the Great Depression and the start of World War II. So, Needless to say, her work became less and less elaborate, and basically the amount of work coming in was less and less. I mean, that makes sense. Was she at least able to continue finding work, though? Maybe other project types since she'd been mostly doing private residences? Well, it sounds like she was doing better than other ladies that we've talked about during this time. But I'm curious as to what she did next. Yes. Okay. So if you recall episode 72, when we talked about Marion, you know, my homegirl from Miami, she would move to Florida around the 1930s and 40s because Florida was going through this big building boom. So word must have spread to Olive as well, because in 1943, Olive moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, just about 45 minutes to an hour north of Miami. Oh, this lady is connected to you all over the place. Mm-hmm. This is so cool. I'm glad that you're finding all these connections. Yep, that's right. Picking it up as they're I'm putting it down. <laughs> but <laughs> so shortly after moving to Florida in 1945, Olive would marry a fella by the name of Carl G. Johnson. Dun 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 dun. Here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. And then she became a bride again because I couldn't find that much info on this husband. What? But I will say that, yeah, I couldn't find info on the wedding of Carl G. Johnson. But I know that Olive gets married again to another guy by the name of Rawwell Van Sickle. Wait, what? Polygamy? Oh, I've always wanted to watch a show about brother husbands. <laughs> so this okay. would do it. So she was this- very ahead of her time. <laughs> so tell me. <laughs> Progressive in the world okay. of polygamy. Wow. So if if what you're saying is true, then I would also be connected to Olive not. Because of the brother husband's part, but because it reminds me of like my fascination of like a reality TV show shows and like sister wives, because I I love watching reality TV and sister wives is one of them. Um, Nergity, also to answer your other question, there is a show on TLC about brother husbands. Speaking of. Oh, really? But is it like I like the. I like the HBO show. I want to see a drama. Not I don't like reality TV like you guys do. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't. I don't know. 
<laughs> it's either gonna be a reality TV show or a documentary. <laughs> but uh, she wants um, big love, no. brother, husband's big edition. Love. Yes. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Bigger <no>. love. Bigger <laughs> love. Uh, <laughs> no. But uh, also, what to n- we are not talking about polygamy. <laughs> yeah, wait, oh. we went on a big polygamy tangent. Yeah. You've never answered the yeah. question as no. to whether Olive becomes yeah. a polygamist. I'm guessing no. no I thought this is, was all a joke. No, it was. Okay. Uh, I was just talking about, like, if it was true, this is more ways that we're connected because of a hot mess this is and how I love to witness hot messes on reality TV. But... All right. So when I tried to look into this first husband, I couldn't find anything. So my guess is that she does get married to Carl. Something happens. He dies or they get divorced. And then Olive marries this other guy afterwards. Rowell Van Sickle. And this is the guy that she stays with for a long time. So... No polygamy, traditional, you know, I do till death do us part or divorce. Well, she wasn't that traditional because she kept her last name. So she's also progressive in that area, it sounds like. She is and she isn't because Johnson doesn't make it into her in the research like her last name. But Sickle does. Oh, okay. But it's not consistent. So maybe she was progressive or maybe my researchers were more progressive and didn't include her last name. I see. Okay. But anyway, so so Olive is married once or twice. First or second, not together, not a throuple. But she's in Florida. (laughs) Okay. And while in Florida... I couldn't find that much on her work per se, but I know that she designed a lot of garden apartments. Um, I do know that while she was in Florida, she would become most known for being the program director and board member of the Museum of Fine Arts in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, program director sounds fancy. I wonder what the salary is for that. Can I earn more as a museum director than an architectural associate? I should look that up later. Was she a moderate (laughs) means arts (laughs) program director? I mean, I don't know what uh, how much she was getting paid uh, there, if it was moderate or not. But I know for today, I mean, I've looked it up and yeah, it's a little bit more than moderate. Uh, so it's it's a good thing. I will say, though, that I think the folks that are museum directors, they usually have to have a degree in like museum studies. So oh. never too late. Oh, yeah. Don't trample never my dreams. There are... I can go back to college. <laughs> no, there's still a, you can still do it. There's actually online uh, colleges that have programs like that because I've also looked into it. Ah. But anyways, fast forward to 1981. When Olive's alma mater, Cornell University, named the College of Architecture, Art and Planning after her. (gasps) Whoa. Okay, that is huge, I feel like. And she was alive to Mm -hmm. see it happen. Yeah. So wait, but I didn't know their their school is named Olive Tiara. I don't remember that when I went to visit. It's probably called like the Jordan Building or something. 
That's Wah! how I yeah. wild. Well, yeah, I think that she's still alive because Jessica hasn't deceased her yet. So she lived to see <laughs> deceased this her. <laughs> she ain't dead yet. But seriously, <laughs> this feels like such a well-deserved and high honor. Like, mm-hmm. I have to say it. This makes me respect Cornell more. Good job, Cornell. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. I hope that all Cornelians learn about Olive and are super proud their school is named after her. Mm, That's right. Yes. So on March 15th, 1997, at the age of 92, Olive would pass away. Now she deceased her. Now she deceased her. Yeah, okay. Now I deceased her. not say deceased her. That sounds so weird. <laughs> I don't think it's grammatically That's correct either. That's why I say not. <laughs> um, but, okay, 92. That is a long life. And it sounds like she mm-hmm. got a lot of deserved recognition while she was still alive for all of her work. Yeah, yeah. her story has been really inspiring today. And I hope... That I get to live as long as she did and do great things just like her. You know, I'm kind of sad that we didn't learn about the other Francis today, but a little bit glad because we got to learn about Olive. Thank you for sharing her story, Jessica. You're welcome. Yeah, I just I feel like I know a lot about Olive's story and it makes me really curious about Francis, the Syracuse alum. My alumna story uh, just because I wonder what she did after she graduated mm-hmm. um, Olive I know that even though like once she passed away a lot of the money that she had she donated it to Cornell afterwards oh, so cool. maybe that's also why she's the bomb diggity because she like gave back to the school. Yeah. Can't speak for Francis because I don't know squat about her. I know that there's no buildings named after her. So, <laughs> uh, you know, just saying, unless Syracuse, contact me. You have her email. Just <laughs> tell me something. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> Olive, you know, she was pretty cool. She would design over 400 homes. It was rumored, and I have to say rumored, because it came up in my research that the mayor of Long Island would rename the Garden City neighborhood to Chauden City. But I couldn't find out if that, like, still exists today. It just came up. I just, I couldn't, like, if it still exists, I don't know. Mm. Uh, Another cool thing that I didn't mention was that at some point she served as an inspector for the Federal Housing Administration and as a member of the Board of Ethics for Architects for New York State. Okay, but she maybe had a town named after her? That's Mm kind of cool. Yeah, this lady achievements on accolades, on recognitions, on achievements on towns. It's like a huge achievement sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. She probably has a sandwich after her, too, somewhere. Maybe. Right. Girl was awesome. So now that brings us to the second half of our episode, the karyotid. So, Nojiri, can you remind us what a karyotid is? Sure thing, chicken wing. A karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. 
For each episode, we'll choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today furthering the profession, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Okay, mm -hmm. so this week's karyotid goes to... <laughs> Renee Camp Rotan. Renee. Yeah. Okay. So I'm really excited to talk about this week's character because Renee, she would be the first African American female to graduate from Syracuse University in 1975. Yay! Woo! Congrats to Renee. Yeah, how cool. Congratulations, lady. Go Red Knight. Yep. So it's actually funny because I think when this episode was coming, I knew who my character was going to be before I knew who my actual lady was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a first. That is a first. <laughs> but that is a first. But I got to say, I am so happy because Renee is so cool. She is both an urban designer and a master planner. She has degrees from Syracuse, but she also attended the AA in London. She has a master's of science in urban and regional planning from Columbia University as well. Degrees on degrees on degrees. Yeah, that's too cool. I couldn't help Googling her. So check this out. She has served not one, not two, not four, not eight, ten mayors mm. as the urban policy advisor in major U.S. cities like Washington, D.C., New York City, Atlanta, to name a few. And most recently, Birmingham, where she was the director of grants and special projects. Okay, tell me how I apply for that job. Because it sounds great. <laughs> I was going to say, this lady is up your alley. Yes. Yeah. Renee also <laughs> served as a director of master planning for Birmingham's award-winning Railroad Reservation Park and the innovative Birmingham Civil Rights Heritage Trail. Y'all better believe I'm looking for pictures of that right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you should. I mean, she sounds so cool. And those projects are cool. I've seen them. Uh, okay, so Renee reminds me of Olive because she did all the things. Okay. And both of them are so inspiring and in everything that they were able to accomplish, ma'am. Yes, I am definitely feeling the connection. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, so before we say see you later, we want to give thanks to CMYK for the music and John W., our technical producer. And most of all, thank all of you listeners out there. Uh, thank you for listening. Remember to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as pictures of the projects we've talked about. All right. We hope you've enjoyed learning about Olive, Renee, and the like two seconds of Francis, along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about these ladies and other amazing professional ladies out there. Again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. 
Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, urban planners, residential architects, designers and political positions. Give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. Write us a review. This really helps us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast.gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Buy our merchandise at our website. Check out these cool sweaters that we're wearing and t-shirts. All right, until next time. Bye. 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 Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability. Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, They've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to, we have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past, and guidepost for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender.